Now with me in the studio is Dr. Kira Kelly for the Right Hook Health Checkup. Your questions to 53106 uh, cost uh, 30 cents. So just send me a question. Dr. Kira Kelly, welcome to the program. Thank you, George. Now, I've been criticized for kind of, you know, giving out a lot of the medical information myself. Uh, and I should give you a free reign to talk as much as you like. So you won't hear from me again now until roughly 6.30-ish. Okay, that's very disappointing. How will we, how will we do the questions? Well, then? I'll call the questions, but I won't have any answers. Okay, it's disappointing, but go on. Marie is 50, has psoriatic arthritis. She's on 20 megs of... Uh, Methotrexate. Yeah. Yeah. What she was on with her? No relief, constant pain, no no anti-inflammatory helps, any suggestions? Um, Psoriatic arthritis, which is some people when they have psoriasis, they also get an associated inflammatory arthritis, George, and it's it can be quite nasty, it being quite aggressive and it being quite painful. Um, this this isn't good enough. What's going on here now? Her methotrexate may or may not need to be adjusted depending on, on her symptom control. That's one thing. Her um, anti-inflammatory are doing nothing, so forget those. She's going to need those some kind of pain medication. It isn't all about anti-inflammatories. Sometimes you actually need analgesia, plain old-fashioned pain. You need paracetamol, you need codeine, you need whatever you need to control the pain because being in chronic pain is no joke. Uh, <laughs> You are chomping at the bit to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> Being in chronic pain is no joke and it's it's not really acceptable, I don't think, either. So, I mean, this woman is relatively young. She's not going to spend the next 20 years in pain. So stuff will have to be done. And there are things that can be done, but she's going to need to talk to her GP and possibly her rheumatologist as well. Psoriatic arthritis is one of the nastier arthritis sometimes. Can I say something? Please? I think you should. All right. Arthritis is one of the great curses, you know, because it's, it, yeah. it's essentially incurable, isn't that right? I mean, um, it, it's by and large. It's but manageable. I, I remember it was a great pal of mine. He was my bank manager. He was my golf partner called Jerry Boyd, sadly no longer with us. But we'd be going up the first fairway, you know, and we'd have a five pound bet with our opponents or something. And Jerry had said to me, should be okay today for the bet. I took 20 codeine, you know, and he used to buy like codeine by the 500 in a bottle. And I remember saying it to Ingrid and Ingrid said to me, it doesn't matter. Don't mind if it affects his stomach or all this other kind of stuff. If it gives him pain relief, that's the important thing. Well, she's right and she's wrong. We, we have to try and always balance the side effects of medication. Uh, codeine's yeah. the side effects wouldn't so much be upset in your stomach as more likely that it's addictive and it has problems going down that road, to be honest. But you do have to balance side effects against pain. Yeah. And, and there is a line you walk there. There's a line that doctors and patients walk and... and it's a balancing act between okay. suffering the side effects but actually being able to live your life as well. So so she, she needs she needs an intervention and, and there are things that can be done. Why does Mark come out in red blotches on his neck after having a few pints? I'd say more than a few pints. Well, did you read, the, read to the end of the text? Especially on the second consecutive day of tri- <laughs> drinking. <laughs> I thought but, but what do red blotches have to do with drinking? Uh, it's probably some kind of an angioedema. He's probably affected and it's probably an autonomic response to, to alcohol on his nervous system, actually. Um, I would suggest drink a bit less. No, is that not the obvious thing? Why does it even... I, I doubt he's allergic to because that's not how allergy works or anything like that, if that's what he's concerned about. 
But if you're drinking enough to break out in rashes, but, but, uh, maybe the, you should drink a little less. Can I speak again? Oh, do. Yeah. But but like drinkers and cigarette smokers are cast. They send the question in, I have this, this, this. And by the way, I'm a drinker. Or by the way, I'm a smoker. And you say, well, if you know all this, the obvious answer is to stop. And that's the answer for him, like drink a bit less. Drink a bit less has to be the answer. You do have this thing with alcohol where you vasodilate, where your where your peripheral blood supply is increased and all that kind of stuff. There's some kind of a physiological response here to booze, drink less. All right. 34, man, lower back pain. MRIs, x-rays, everything is okay, but he has lower back pain. I would suggest here what he needs is physio because if the MRI is okay, there's no trapped nerves, blah, blah, blah. The x-ray is okay. There's nothing dramatic there. He needs to work on his lower back. Simple things you can do are um, keep your weight down because if you carry weight, men in particular tend to carry weight all at the front here, a bit like a pregnant woman. They get kind of a paunch and that's very bad on your lower back. Um, I see again the chomping at the bit, George. <laughs> this is very hard for you this evening. This is very difficult. Uh, this is very difficult. So, so keep the weight down. Back stretches, you know, core muscles, Pilates. These things are very good for back pain. Okay, uh, would you like to speak, George? I think (laughs) he's almost leaping from foot to foot in his chair. Sit-ups. Sit-ups. Well, sit-ups constrain the lower back. You have to, you have to, when you exercise the front of your stomach with sit-ups, you have to exercise the corresponding low back muscles as well. Pilates, George. You'd be a great man for the Pilates. Would I? You would. If there was a really uh, attractive Pilates instructor. And there usually is. Very flexible. I'd be all on it. That's what I thought. Yeah. JP is in Kerry. Now, he's worried about family planning. He had a vasectomy, but he's wondering, like, should he have a double check? Yeah, JP, by the looks of things, when I read that, he said he, he had a, he had the all clear two years ago, he said. Um, it depends on how long after you've had the vasectomy that you get the all clear. So so a lot of people would have, have a semen analysis done about three months after the vasectomy, something like that. And you might need to have maybe one or two of those done. But a, a good rule of thumb is, is if you've been checked one year post vasectomy, the chances are it's for life. You know, so so I'm not quite sure. He It says there two years, but I think he means two years ago he had it checked. If he's had a check two years post vasectomy, I would suggest that he's good to go. I have a text here which says, please allow the doctor to answer the questions. It's most annoying when you interfere. I'm being, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm so quiet, it's not true. I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyway, Paul in Swords, speaking of vasectomies, is off to get one tomorrow. Very good. Good luck, Paul in Swords. Well done. No advice, really. No advice. It's a simple, straightforward, generally speaking, straightforward and, and more or less painless uh, procedure and, and is a very, very good form of contraception. George, and you do know how fond I am of contraception. I'm not speaking. I mean, Ger has a brown colour pigment all over his scrotum and at the base of his penis. Is it normal? Well, my scrotum and penis are positively technicolour. So what's he worried about? Summer two. <laughs> Nothing. Um, I think it's very hard to call it on this listener because we can't see his scrotum (laughs) we can't see his scrotum so I would suggest that skin rashes are quite hard for us to diagnose here on the right hook Um, the skin of your scrotum is always a different colour to the rest of your skin it's a more ruddy complexion but um, I don't want to say this is okay or not okay because I don't really want to see a photo either listener so (laughs) I would suggest you need to have that checked yourself somewhere by someone who can actually eyeball it now see 
Here's a question from a fella, right? And sometimes fellas ask, and they're always men, I think. They ask a question, and the answer is incredibly obvious sometimes. And they just want you to tell them something different to what somebody else has obviously told them. For instance, can I weight train with shingles, uh, which is, you know, he's at the end of the shingles period because the skin is now scabbing over? Uh, I would suggest maybe no, to be honest. And, Thank you. Uh, and the reason is this, is first of all, First of all, you're infectious. You can give people the chicken pox until your shingles are completely scabbed over. So they're starting to scab over. I would suggest that nobody really wants you sweating beside them in in the gym. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, is shingles is an awful condition in that very often I see people and they're about to clear the shingles and then they get back into their daily routine and they come back into me a week later and it's all flared up again. The herpes family of viruses are quite aggressive once they're flared up. You need to take your medication. I hope he is taking his medication. Um. And you need to wait and kind of convalesce for a period to make sure you've fully cleared it because you can have problems with shingles. And I've lots of patients that still have pain in the site where they had the shingles months and years after they actually had the eruption. So, So I would suggest, you know, chances are it's only a week or two since he's had the shingles if he's only scabbing now. Uh, take a chill pill and, and just relax. Yeah. Relax and, and but convalesce. But that's what I mean. He's asking a stupid question. He wants you to you're tell him. You're very hard on our no, listeners. you're telling him. He wants you to say, yeah, go out and do 500 bench presses. He's got shingles for crying out loud. Uh, now, John and Kilkenny, I'm, I've, I'm recommending he be your customer, actually. Okay. He join your surgery because he's a hypochondriac. He goes to the doctor every second month and he's spending a fortune with the doc. Apparently, the doctor kids are going to through college now based, based on, on this lad so I thought he'd be good in your surgery we, we love people like him it's true there's um, no cure for this hypochondriasis okay it is a real condition and what it is is it's health anxiety George lots of us suffer with anxiety and very often people have anxiety that focuses in on a certain thing so for example some people have social anxiety where they get really freaked out before they go into a setting where they're with people that they don't know and that makes them very uneasy some people have health anxiety where they they get a twinge and they think oh god I've got cancer now in my back or whatever you know other people have different forms of you know people worry about finances some people have morbid jealousy so, so there's all these different focuses for our anxiety but they're more or less the same condition this is a man who's clearly got an anxiety condition and what he needs to do is stop maybe worrying about these kind of phantom symptoms he has here there and everywhere with everything stop that's why he has his anxiety can be treated his hypochondriasis which is the actual condition he's suffering from the other things are all just nebulous his hypochondriasis can be treated he can be treated with things like cognitive behavioural therapy um, talking therapies like that sometimes you're going to love this sometimes medication works for people so there are things that can be ring for an ambulance no 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 that's the worst thing you can do for someone with hypochondriasis <laughs> that only ratches the whole thing up and All makes right, it much okay. more scary. Right. So I think he needs to go and maybe deal with his anxiety rather than worrying anxiety about his health. Anxiety is very hard. It's very hard. And, and it's very I common. don't believe in medication. Now, here and and 50, another 50 year old woman. What have we been doing to all these women? Anyway, she's been taking Lexotan every night to sleep and she's been doing it. For four years, how do I get a night's sleep and stop taking the drug, she asks. This is a brilliant question. I have the answer. Brilliant question. Have Le- you the answer? Well, it's going to, more. it's not a word. The answer isn't a yes or no. Lexitan is a benzodiazepine, George, and benzodiazepines are addictive. So it's in the same fal- family as, you know, Valium and things like that you'll have heard of. And lots and lots of people around the country are 
completely dependent and addicted to these drugs and that is a real problem. The only way to get off the drugs is to wean off the drugs. So you have to cut them slowly and you have to cut them quite slowly because you can go into withdrawal from them and you can have acute anxiety. Why? You sorry, you don't believe in cold turkey? It's very difficult for people with these. Okay. Yeah, especially okay. she's done them for four okay. years every day. Right. So so you have to wean off them. But in the meantime, what are we going to do about her sleep? So there's other things that she needs to do. She needs to, this has to be a sort of a structured program where her, her drug is reduced by actually a very small amount every, not even every week, maybe every two to three weeks. Reduced by maybe a quarter of the tablet. Very small, small incremental reductions. And then she needs to practice stuff like sleep hygiene, which I think people should Google out there if they're suffering from insomnia, which is about kind of, you know, the the idea of a bedtime routine for kids. Well, some adults need a bedtime routine too. And that's for a run very often. Not late at night, though, because that jazzes up your your adrenaline levels and all that. Exercise early in the day is very good. There are things that everybody finds I believe it. Like, the reason I'm so angry with this is she's in the care of a physician who I presume is writing a script every month for her. Like, she's coming in and he's saying, here you are, here's the same script again, 60 quid, please. And she's on these drugs, which are addictive. Yeah, tranquilizers. She has no way of getting off this uh, other than, and she should be off it. Yeah. Because, now, are there people who are bad sleepers? Absolutely. And and what you also have to do then is you have to find a way, like with me, head on pillow, unconscious until it's time to wake up. Other people like Ingrid, for instance, me. won't sleep at all. Yeah. You know, so there are those. But sleeping are, tablets are a mug's game. They don't correct. work Thank for insomnia you. because Thank insomnia you. is a chronic condition. I, you know, could clearly if I wanted to be on sleeping tablets, probably could be because I'm not a good sleeper, but there's no point in doing stuff like that because all you do is you end up being addicted to the sleeping tablet and your sleeping pattern tends to reverse to whatever it was in the first place anyway. So you need to practice stuff like sleep hygiene. You're exactly right. You need to get exercise, but early in the day. So this woman needs to approach this with a structured approach to trying to very slowly and incrementally wean herself off the, the tablets A and B needs a structured approach to a sleeping kind of routine and that's very important too milky drinks warm baths all that sort of stuff a tidy bedroom actually is a very um, big plus right. to people falling okay. asleep right, but just get off the pills yeah that, that is right. important especially if she's only 50 I haven't said a word now in the last 15 minutes but you have a question here got a cortisone injection 8 months ago for what was diagnosed as tennis elbow it's now worse than ever Okay. Is that my question or your question? I'd say that must be you must be due on George. You have to be. Well, due no, on. tennis elbow is an extraordinarily difficult injury to fix. Number one, and it is unbelievably yeah. painful. You can't pick up a cup of coffee nope. if you've tennis elbow. You can't pick up a. And cup And if you touch off the inside yeah. of someone's elbow, the tenderness that it's yeah. exquisite. Um, it's it's dreadful. Cortisone tends to be the treatment of choice, though. It can be, and this person may in fact respond to just a second injection. Sometimes people do need two or sometimes they need three injections. I wouldn't, you can't keep having injections, I should point out, but you might need more than one. Um, And then there are things you can do by way of physio and all that kind of stuff. And some people take anti-inflammatories and stuff like that as well. But no, it is very difficult. But don't just sit and suffer with this. Can I give you you a warning? You need to go back, go for it. I got cortisone for what was diagnosed as tennis elbow. You have had every condition. Didn't work. No, no, it didn't work. Why? I had gout in my elbow. Uh-huh. See, he may not have tense elbow. That's very interesting. Yes. Is he certain that he has We're presuming elbow? that the diagnosis is clear, but perhaps it's not. Perhaps it's not. It's another Egypt sent text in, right? 
Okay. Now, so like there's kind of, uh, we're going to set up an award system for ages of the week soon. He's a very average long distance runner. Okay. Right? He's 30. Now, he had a long layoff following a back injury. So he comes back and now he has massive blisters on his foot, right? Yep. Should he prick them with a needle or a pin? Okay. Right? Gareth, I'm, I'm naming Gareth. Now, first of all, you shouldn't really get blisters at all. Blisters, may I? Blisters are that you have the wrong kind of sock or you have the wrong kind of shoe or something, isn't it? So if you have a proper shoe and a proper sock and you don't run 30 miles the first time you're back, you shouldn't get blisters. Yeah, but and if you do, you don't put a pin in them. Wait, okay, wait. I'm not going to say another word. Don't say another word. Um, first of all, listeners, Please continue to send in, in your queries to us. George may call you all stupid and tell you, you know, and kind of ridicule you. But actually, that's why I'm here is to actually listen. <laughs> Second of all, Gareth, you now have a blister. So never mind George's shoe and sock <laughs> diatribe. <laughs> you have a blister. Should you stick a pin in it? Yes, if you have a sterile pin. And here's what you should do, though, very, very, very carefully. OK, at the very edge of the blister, what you want to do is you want to drain the blister, but not de-roof the blister. Do you know what I mean when I say that, George? Uh, George is not going to speak anymore because he's just fainted at the prospect of putting a pin it in It doesn't hurt at all. This, that layer of skin is so thin it's, it's painless. Um, De-roofing the blister would be removing that layer of skin that sits over the, the blistered area. You don't want to do that. You want to take some of the fluid out though and you want to cover it and cushion it and you're not to run till it's fixed, okay? What you may need to do is you may have got new runners or something like that. Have a little look at them. Make sure that they are fitting you properly and comfortable. Maybe shorter distances in the You've new runners. You've just given me a Complete bollocking, right? <laughs> You've given me a complete bollocking. And then you say... You're being so then, hard on the listeners. Where's your empathy, man? No, but then you say, it could be you have the wrong type of shoe. Yes, it could. Speaking from your vast medical Stop experience. ridiculing our, our listeners. And then you say... Don't, maybe you shouldn't run as far. Precisely what I said, and I got a bollocking. Bit of Vaseline, too, is good. Yeah. Yeah. Vaseline, uh, Martin runners, which I never did, they tell me you put Vaseline on your nipples yeah. if you're on a marathon. You do, you do. Because they, 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 Have you they, never they, seen them sometimes bleeding from the nipples oh, through, no, through their tops? No, listen, come on. Desperate. I can't take this bleeding from the nipple and, and uh, sticking pins in, in blisters. This is, uh, this is cutting edge stuff here this evening, yeah, George. England is probably out just awake all night with George's snoring and farting. That actually was true, Keith. We solved it by when the kids left by having separate bedrooms. So I now snore and fart to my heart's content and I upset nobody. I'm going to take a very serious one. Okay. Because I'm not sure what the answer is. Usually oh, okay. I have a smart alecky answer. The text came in this minute. So okay, you don't no, know what no, it is. No, I don't know. I feel completely hopeless, suffering from depression and anxiety. I literally have no money. I'm a divorced mother trying to get two boys to secondary school. Don't tell me to contact social welfare or charity, Anna says. Okay. So what do you say? That's a very tough one. I think Anna does need to go to her GP, okay? Cause, because Anna, I don't like hearing anyone feels completely hopeless. And unfortunately, so many people do. And and Anna, you won't be the only person listening to the show right now that feels completely hopeless because, you know, that whole thing. But many people do lead lives of quiet desperation. And there's a lot of this out there. And obviously, financially, things are very tough for you at the moment. We won't be able to help you with that, although you should be entitled to a medical card. And I hope that's all sorted out for you. 
if you're feeling that bleak and that low, there's a couple of things you need to do. You need to touch base with your GP. You probably need some counselling and you may need medication, but you certainly need help. People's mental healths are are very often under pressure. It's very isolating. And people, when they're going through that experience, a feeling of isolation, like they're the only one, but you're not. It is part of the human condition and all of us will feel this way at some point but you need to go and get some proper help yeah it was interesting like first go gp 60 quid second second medication like you are so predictable you doctors can i come in now with a different answer no and i'm not going to say the rosary right i really glad to hear that right one of the most strongest things, if she can do it, and she may not be able to do it, but treating this very seriously. I know, it I'm is not, serious. I'm not kidding about this. Friends can be extraordinary. Now, very often when you're in depression and anxiety, you are either too embarrassed to share it with somebody, but the very old theory of a problem shared is a problem to have is very important in this circumstance. So can Anna find, right, somebody who she can share with? So what we're going to do is you send a text to me every day, Anna, on 53106 to George, and uh, I'll send you a text back. And you just keep me in, know how you're going, and we'll see that then we'll move to the doc uh, and the counselling yeah, and the medication. Uh, two strands at once, George. It's great for Anna to get support from, from friends or family around her, but very often when people feel so hopeless, they find it impossible because they feel their self-worth is so low to reach out to other people. If you go to a GP, they will steer you in the right direction. And as on medication. The other, the other group that would be useful for her to talk to are AWARE. AWARE, which are, are the peer support group for people with depression. They actually run, you know, kind of talking sessions with groups of people. And I know patients of mine who've gone to it, which they've actually found more helpful. In fact, it's a bit like going to AA or something. You yeah, sit with right. other people who are experiencing okay. and you don't feel alone. But we don't want Anna to feel alone. That's the whole point. Like we're not, we're not doing any big deal here. But like Anna should actually know that on a Monday between six and half six, there are two human beings here that she should be able that she can communicate yeah. if she wants to that's all I'm saying no more no less although a listener says under no circumstance puncture the blister could lead to infection and cellulitis <laughs> alright I want to do this one Anna keep in touch do you? keep in touch Anna yeah, and you're Anna, not alone you're not alone keep in touch with us my left testicle is swollen to the size of an orange. What do I do? You go to the doctor now. Yeah. I mean, he's another. Like, I mean, if my testicle. No. If my testicle was you swollen bring to the size. everything back to your testicles. No, Every single person. No, no, that really no seriously. If my testicle was swollen to the size of an orange, I'd be beating a pathway to my GP. Yes. I'd be knocking on his yes, door. Yes, because we don't know what's going on here. I wouldn't be writing to George the, and 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 Kira with the best. This, this in person the world. probably has an infection or something. But to be honest, we don't know because we can't see. Um, you need to get you need to get some kind of help with this now because it it, it may okay. be a real problem. Why are so many people ringing in about ingrowing toenails? Um, I suppose because it's a relatively minorish thing that they don't want to go to the doctor about, maybe because they think it's a lot of trouble to go to the doctor with, you know. But they, I tell you something. Um, it, part of it is that it, we just don't cut our nails 
properly or enough. It's astonishing. You see it when, like, when you're a man and you're in a golf club shower or a rugby club shower or whatever. I look at people's feet. I really do. Word of honour. And I'm astonished how how poor care people actually take with their nails and stuff like that. Yes. I'm astonished. Th- this listener was wondering about an infection though, weren't they? Yeah, but yeah. of course it's an infection if it's an ingrown toenail. Yeah, you can have ingrown toenails that aren't infected and then and they become infected. Um, what should you do? Well, very often, to be honest, you need an antibiotic, but we don't know because we can't see how bad it is. At a minimum, I'd be sticking my foot in a basin of salty water and I would be easing back the proud flesh. Oh, oh, Do you know what I mean by the proud I flesh? I hate this, I know exactly. The proud yeah. flesh from the side of your nail as best you Did can. Did I just lowering up the golden pages for a carapodist? Well, they're asking for our help, George. I think at a, as a start, salt bathe it and try and ease the, 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 the skin back from the sides. If it's still infected and there's pus and redness and all that kind of stuff, you'll likely need an antibiotic. Anna just can't talk. Why? I don't. Talking isn't for me, she says. This is quite sad. It is. So she's been back on to us. Anna, you need to talk to somebody. You you have talked to somebody. You need to get some help because you know yourself that you can't go on the way you are, that you're you're in difficulties and you're struggling. And that's the start of it. Once you identify the fact that you're struggling, that's a big step. And the fact that you've even contacted us is a big step. I think at a minimum you need to go in and talk to your GP. You may need your medication adjusted. You may need to be sent to somebody like uh, a psychologist or somebody like that. You may, you may need more help than the GP alone is providing. Um, you may need support groups or other types of therapy, but you have to at least be open-minded. You can't beat this alone. Yeah, and you have to at least right. be open-minded to sure. to other people being able to help you because if you if you don't believe you can be helped, that's a problem. But you can. I have seen so many people yeah. with profound depression and profound anxiety have their lives well, turned but around. But the reason she's depressed and is anxious is she has a problem. Well, she obviously has some problems. She, well, she, she has she's, a problem. She has no money. Yeah. And she's trying to put kids through school. That's absolutely right, George. But bear in mind, there's your situation and then there's your perspective on your situation. And, and they're two different things. Okay. And sometimes you can be on top of the world and be very depressed. And some people can be in reasonably bad circumstances and not be depressed. So it isn't all down to situation. We need to address how she's feeling. Finally, I think this is important because I don't understand that. Uh, Gavin's son, 15, has been diagnosed with an underactive thyroid. His count is 0.9, normal 15. He got an antibody count, which came back at 434. Normal is 26. Quick answer for him, please. Sorry about this. Underactive thyroid, he'll need to go on, on thyroid replacement hormone. And, and that is important because the poor lad's energy levels and all um, will be a big problem. The fact that his antibodies are there and that it's a kind of an autoimmune form of uh, uh, of underactive thyroid isn't really the issue. The issue is getting his thyroid levels back up to normal so that he feels normal and well and thyroids are relatively simple to manage. All right, very good. Kira Kelly will be back next Monday uh, with the um, right hook health checkup. She's now going to check my technicolored coloured uh, scrotum. No, she really isn't. <laughs> I need it. We need it, Doctor. Here we go. We have to go. We have to go.